0: James Dobson uh, once wrote a book entitled, Parenting Isn't for Cowards. I always liked that, and I kind of wondered why he titled it that one time, and I had a chance to hear him do an interview one time answering this very question. And he said this, because it's tough being a parent. It is a difficult, demanding job. It is a challenge in every sense of the word. And just about the time you get the hang of it and get experienced at it, your kids go out the door. And he said, it's not a job you can do well, he said, if you're a coward. I think that's true. More and more, it seems true for me as I go through this parenting journey uh, in my family. You can't give tough love if you're afraid. You can't uh, kind of hold certain truths as certain truths that God gives us if you're afraid of the the response from classmates or friends or whatever. You can't decide to discipline in certain ways because your friends will judge you if if you're afraid. You can't tell your kids... um, difficult things if you're afraid and and so more and more this idea of of being a, not being a coward is resonating more and more and i think in the midst of a culture where parents too often like to take the easy way out like not to address certain things like not to have hard conversations like to be more of their friends and and less parents Another guy said this he says you don't really learn how to be a good parent until they've all grown up And then it's just too late or, or maybe you feel like the guy I heard about who had five amazing theories on how to raise Kids when he had no kids and then a few years later. He had five kids and no theories <laughs> I like that All I have to say is that parenting's hard. Just like the video talked about And so the question really is in the midst of this difficulty in the midst of this reality is where do you go for help? And the answer that God gives is you go to him you go to the one who designed it all from the very beginning go to God. And I say that because there's only one parent that's ever gotten it right throughout the history of the world, and that's God. He is the perfect father, and he's the only one that always does it right, always comes through, always is there, always loves, always is patient. He's our heavenly father, and so we go to him. And as you do, he does this amazing thing. He sort of uncomplicates this whole parenting thing for us by just giving us these simple words. He says this to us, Treat your kids the way that I treat you. Super simple, and it's super hard, but it is God's will for us as parents. So today I want to take a look at that, and then draw some of the applications for these parenting task. And as I do, I want you to, you to listen in two different ways. I want you to listen first as a parent, if you have any kids at home, or grandkids, or great-grandkids, and, and think about how to apply some of these ways that God calls us to parent, And then I want you to think of yourself as a kid and God being the father and realize that this is the way he loves on us, cares for us, supports us as we go through life. And sometimes the only way you can understand it as the parent of kids is to understand it from the kid's perspective and our Heavenly Father. So let's talk about a few of the things that God gives us in terms of what do we do with our kids. God says this first and foremost, we must learn to accept our children today. Accept our kids. And I mean really accept them. I'll just ask you this. Is anybody here perfect? And you guys are as close as their kids. But the answer is still no, right? And if we're not perfect, it, there's the reality that God still accepts us just the way we are. And that's ca- called God's amazing grace. And, and the hard thing is that God wants us to do that as we love our kids. That we are to love our kids just the way they are too. And that's also called grace. And it's just as amazing And so God calls us to accept our children because we have this tendency as parents as we go through life to reject our kids when they mess up. We don't mean to do it. We just out come the words or out comes the judgment or out comes the rage or whatever it might be. They don't look like the way we want them to look. They don't dress the way we want them to dress. They don't meet our standards as if all of a sudden we've become the standard of how to do things. But God says accept them. And I want you to think about it just in life in general. As as you go through life and and you've made different choices or you've made mistakes, how do you want God to respond? You want him to respond in love saying, I got you and I love you and, and we'll get through this. You want to know that he's there supporting you, that he's on your side. And that's the same call to us as parents. Why? Because the Bible says that children are a gift from God that he gave them to us. And this is kind of a mind blower, but he says that God chose the kids that you were going to have before you ever had them. He put them in your family. He chose them for you. You didn't choose them. God chose them. And he used your genes and he knit them together in mom's womb and out they came. And so the Bible says this in Romans fifteen seven: accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. God has sovereignly and custom-designed your children. He put them into your family for you to care for, and so you need to accept them as this amazing creation that they are, as this gift of God, and not try to make them into little use. We need to affirm their uniqueness. And that's so important because as parents, we tend to say something like this, you need to be just like me. I'm a huge Detroit Lions fan. You need to suffer in the same way, right? You need to be the Detroit Lions fan too. You need to cheer if your kids go the opposite way and God forbid become Green Bay Packer fans or something like that. I mean, you still need to love them, accept them. We tend to reject them sometimes when they're not just like us. You need to be as interested in these things as I'm interested in. You need to do good, as good in school as I did. You need to be as athletic as I was. You need to be as interested in piano as I was. Or worse, you need to be better at school than I was. You need to be more athletic than I was. Because secretly we're just hoping to live vicariously through them. Maybe relive our glory days. Maybe have them do better than we ever did. And what that's doing, though, is giving a lack of recognition and appreciation for the way that God made your kids. Suddenly, what it says to the child eventually is that the only way I'm going to be accepted in this family, or accepted by Daddy, is if I'm not myself. If I want to be accepted by Mommy, I just can't be me. The only way I can get accepted in this household is through performance. I've got to be like my parents in order to be accepted. I tell you that's tragic and it's heartbreaking and it's happening all around our country and so many different families but God says you need to learn to accept them from who they are now I almost need to give this as a caveat just because of the world that we live in but this does not mean that we approve of everything our kids do right we accept them as our kids as God uniquely creating them and wonderfully making them but this does not mean we support sin I can't help but I'm just a thief well, well no we love you as our child but you've got to stop taking things right and so it just leads us to the second point. So as much as we accept them as being our kids, we also need to discipline our kids when they go off. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, The Lord disciplines those that he loves. I tell you, this is probably the missing piece in so many of the families across our nation today. And you're seeing the results of it almost everywhere you go. But when, you, but when the Lord says he disciplines those he loves, it's just a sign that, that of God's love when you're disciplined in life. And as you think of it from the kid's side, there have been times in your life where God has kind of wooed you back from going off in a bad course. Maybe you decided to kind of go your own way and whether it was through a nice little storm, you know, a little rain or a thunderstorm or a hammer on your head, somehow God got you back. And sometimes God does that, right, because he doesn't want to lose us, because he wants us to be back with him, because he wants us to, to succeed and be with him for eternity. There's two things there, though, that are absolutely true if you're not disciplining your kids. Number one, it just proves that you don't really love your kids, that you love you more. In fact, in Proverbs 13, verse 24, it says, if you refuse to discipline your son, it proves that you don't love him. Pretty straightforward. Second thing, it says, it shows that you're participating in their destruction. Proverbs nineteen eighteen says, discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you're helping them destroy themselves. Having said this, though, I think it's important just to kind of delineate a little bit the difference between discipline and punishment. God never punishes his kids, for example. He punishes the world, the unbelieving world, for their sin, but never his kids. He always disciplines them. And discipline always is out of love, and it's always to serve a purpose. All the punishment for your sins, in particular, was taken by one person, Jesus Christ, on the cross. All the punishment for every wrong that you've ever done, for every wrong your kids have ever done, were taken to the cross by Jesus. And now you've been forgiven because Jesus was willing to pay that penalty, that punishment that you deserved. That's why the book of Romans in 8.1 says there is now no condemnation, no punishment for those that are in Christ Jesus. For God does not punish his kids, but he loves them and he doesn't want them to go astray. And so sometimes he allows consequences in life to bring us back to reality, to bring us back to our senses, to bring us back to him. And God wants us to do that for our kids as well. And he does it to show us right from wrong, which is hugely lacking in our culture today. He does so that we might feel secure in his love, knowing that there's boundaries, knowing that there's care, knowing that if we go off, somebody cares enough to bring us back. And He does so so that ultimately we can be with him in heaven. He calls us to do the same for our kids. But there's a reminder in there that God does that for us too that he's constantly working in us and with us every time we blow it, every time we go astray, he's constantly working to bring us back. And when bad things happen in life, there's always two ways you can go, isn't there? With repentance, you run to God to get his healing and his forgiveness and his comfort. Or in frustration and anger, you run away from God, and things get more and more complicated. He goes on to a third one, too, and he says, We must express love to our kids. The Bible is full of examples of God's love for us, and truly great is the love of God for his children. And I think every one of you, just if you have kids, you love your, your your kids. And I believe, too, that we express this love in the best way that we know how. But what God calls us to do is that we need to learn to express love in the ways that our kids understand, and the ways that they receive. There's a cool book out there called Love Languages, and it's for couples, but... It just its it's premise is simply this that we each experience love in different ways And you got to figure out the way that your spouse receives that love so that you can appropriately give it to them Otherwise, you're just banging your head against the wall and you're constantly miserable And so is your spouse because you're not filling their love tank for some people that's buying flowers and kudos to you If you have a spouse that experiences love through flowers buy them all the time is my recommendation Sometimes it's quality time. Sometimes it's words of affirmation. Sometimes it's physicality. But you have to recognize that not everybody experiences love like you. You need to figure out what works for your spouse. And the same is true with your kids. And so here are three ways that kids always understand love and ways that are missing in a lot of families today. One of the first ones is through affection, touching, physical contact, hugs and kisses, pats on the back, rubbing the back. If you didn't grow up in a family like this, you can absolutely learn it, but the Bible says in Psalm 145, 9, that the Lord has compassion on all he's made. He's a very affectionate God with us. Studies have shown that fathers are one-sixth as physically affectionate toward their kids as mothers are. And so I'll just say, fathers, have the courage to hug and kiss your kids. It gives them security. It reminds them that you've got it, that you're there, that you're with them, that things will be okay. Remember when you were a kid and you blew it or you were afraid of something and you ran to mom and dad and they wrapped you up in their arms and all of a sudden there was peace right before there was a storm. Imagine that horrible dream that you just had moments before and all of a sudden you ran into their room and they grabbed you in their arms and all of a sudden it dissipated and the fear started going away. Touch is a powerful thing, and it's a way to remind them that you care about them, that you love them. And so, my encouragement today is: as you go home today, give a loving touch to remember your family again to show them, to remind them that you love them. Now, just as a caveat, again, is our world of ours. I'm talking about appropriate touch, but this is super, super important. Second thing: through affirmation. This involves the way we talk. In Psalm 145, 14, it says, The Lord upholds and uplifts those who are down. In other words, we shape our kids by the way we talk to them all the time. Do you talk down to your kids or do you talk to them as people? Little people maybe, but do you talk to them as people? Getting to know what they're thinking about. Learning about how they're reasoning through situations. Understanding what their ideas are. What their joys are. What their fears are. Are you talking to them as little people or as pieces of furniture? Don't make fun of your kids either, but we need to learn to build them up, encourage them. In fact, one of the things that I'm trying to teach my kids, and this has been hard, but that it's, it's okay to fail as long as you try. And it's been hard because one of my initial reactions is, oh, you didn't do it right, and I want to come down on them, but I don't want that to be my kids. I want them to be able to go through life trying things and, 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 and being risk-takers and being people of faith, people that just keep going and going, even when things are hard, to accomplish great and powerful things. But the only way you do that is by teaching them that they don't have to be afraid of failure, which when you're yelling all the time or putting them down all the time, runs counterproductive to that. I want my kids to be able to come home and say, Dad, I I tried really hard, but I blew it at school today. I just didn't get it. And I say, that's okay. We'll get it next time. It's going to be okay. And they're affirmed, and they're not put down, and they're not ridiculed. Because everybody affirms you when you get straight A's, when you hit the home run, when you win the contest. Well, what about the time that you lose, when you don't meet expectations, when you, that's when they need to be affirmed the most. And again, the way to understand this is by looking at it from our side with God. When you really blow it in life, when you've sinned so much and you're just in a, a place where you don't even think that God can forgive or see, when you've let down people around you and they know you've let them down and you're feeling the weight of that guilt, what do you want God to say? You want him to say, hey, jerk, you're, you're worthless, you're nothing? No. That's when we need to hear God say more than anything else, I've got you. I saw your mess up, and I'm sad, and I'm sorry about that, but we're going to get through this. I need you to know that I'm still on your side, that I'm still rooting for you, that I'm still strengthening you, that we will get to the other side of this, and that we will make it better. For God promises to work all things for the good of those who love him. When we blow it the most, we need to hear the words that we're forgiven, that we're loved, that he's there, that he cares, that he sees, that he knows, that he's able. My question is, are you giving that to your kids? Or are you giving the quick condemnation? Next way is through attention. This is probably the number one way that kids sense that they are loved today. And so I'll just ask you, when was the last time you got down eyeball to eyeball and looked at your kids in the eye, not on the run, but in the eye, and said this, I had to do it all over again, I'd still choose you to be my kid. If I could have choose from all the kids in the world, I'd still want you to be my child. Listen with your ears. The Bible says in Psalm 145 verse 18, our Heavenly Father is near to us when we call to Him. And I think this is just so important today because of all the absentee fathers that are out there today. Dads are never around, even in nuclear families. There was a a study done by Cornell University one time that attached little microphones to kids, and they monitored them for weeks, and they found that in America today, the average father spends, on a per-day basis, 37.7 seconds talking to his children. Compare that to the two to four hours they're probably watching TV or looking online at different things. And then ask yourself, who's teaching them their values? Who's teaching them about God? The missing link that's happening in so many of the families today is just time together. That's the missing element. We're living separate lives, going in a million different directions. I was just at a camp out Friday night, and that was the common theme running through all the families that were there. We're just busy. We're just tired. This is super cool, but we're always on the run. Article in a paper said, whatever happened to the traditional meal? Families who live together can still dine together. The article goes on. The traditional meal has been replaced by fast food. We talk about the dinner hour, but when was the last time you actually spent an hour with your family at dinner? It's more like the dinner 15 minutes. In fact, I was thinking about that, and the only time really we spend an hour probably anymore is when we go out to dinner because we have to wait for the food to come, right? But that's why we gave you those cards, right? And we gave you another set today. It's to give you another excuse to spend time talking to your kids. On the way home last, last Sunday, my, da- my little daughter and I, we went through all the different cards and all the different questions, and it was, it was a really a cool time. I got to learn a lot about what she was thinking as an eight-year-old, and, what, and what, what are things that are important to her, and she got to hear some of my answers to the different questions as well, and were able to ask me follow-up questions, and, you know, it was a time that we hadn't talked that much about that many different things in a long time, and it was really cool. So my prayers that you'd use them. Another article on parenting raising a delinquent generation. It talks about parents who are so preoccupied with money, buying, and pleasure, uh, they have maybe be raising a generation of juvenile delinquents. The aggressive anything for a buck value system is transmitted to kids who are as much danger of becoming delinquents as the children of poor single-parent families who are left at home while the parents work. The common denominators, the article said, We see a lack of parental supervision, regardless of the reason, and it cuts across socioeconomic lines. It's much easier to give money and things than to give time, but it's only time that brings out character. I was at the pool the other day, and we saw a bunch of kids that were just having fun in the pool, but then all of a sudden it kind of turned bad a little bit. There was a couple kids that were kind of ringleaders, and they ended up kind of giving this older guy a, a real hard time, squirting them with squirt guns and just all sorts of stuff that was just over the top wrong. And The parents are over there just reading books, you know acting like nothing was going on And so this went on for a little bit and the guy was just concerned about their safety But they were mocking him and they were doing all sorts of things Finally the dad looked up and saw that, that two of his kids were over there And he went and got him and apologized to the to the to the older man And he took them back and he tried to talk to all the kids, but he was talking mainly to his and says, hey, I don't care if two of the guys are doing something that's inappropriate. That means you remove yourself. And so it was both a very disturbing thing because I saw these kids without parents just doing whatever, but then I got to see some parents actually in action trying to teach their kids right from wrong. Then instituting consequences, you know, and saying, okay, you got to get out of the pool now because you didn't listen. And then also seeing their dad apologize to this guy that they were just rude to. We live in a culture that we just, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, it's about parenting. And unless those parents decided to spend the time, they don't teach their kids. If they just said no and then let them do whatever they wanted, they've learned nothing. A verse very appropriate for today, last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 6. This is the last thing that God said in the Old Testament before Jesus comes in the New Testament. It's uppermost on his mind, and he says this, "'He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children.'" and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I think that's my definition of a spiritual revival. And I wish this would happen in our culture today, that he would turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents. Because no church is any stronger than the families that are in it, and no nation is any stronger than the families that are in it. And I think we just, as we look around, we'd have to admit that we have a family crisis in our country today. And so God says, parents, Treat your kids the way that I treat you. Love them the way that I love you. Forgive them the way that I forgive you. And above all, teach them and lead them to Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we just lift up our families today. Um, In the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of the chaotic schedules, in the midst of the tiredness, the frustration, We just give give to you, Lord, our families today. We pray protect our kids, Lord. We pray give us strength to be the parents that they need us to be. We pray restore relationships that have been broken or strained. Father, we pray that you would insert yourself powerfully into the families in this church. And that you bring healing. That you bring love and forgiveness. And that you bring hope for a better tomorrow. So that's our prayer today, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.